0: U.S. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy brought the political world to a halt last week when he announced his retirement. The move gives President Donald Trump a chance to reshape the high court for decades. While it's highly possible the court vacancy will be filled before November, Attorney General Josh Hawley is banking on the issue helping his bid to unseat U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill. So uh,
1: voters need to know where she is on this on this defining issue and of course this is something I care deeply about. It's my background. It's been my career.
0: McCaskill is dismissing Holly's challenge to debate him on who should replace Kennedy on the Supreme Court.
1: We can both show off our law degrees. I mean I may have just gone to Mizzou but I can hold my own and I don't think that I think what people really want to know is a wide variety of issues that you have to deal with as a senator.
0: On this edition of Politically Speaking we look into how the impending judicial fight over Kennedy's replacement and the issue of abortion rights will factor into Missouri's election cycle. We also take a closer look into the GOP primary for the U.S. Senate. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host. Shock! Jason Rosenbaum, He's back. political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. I am back, and I, as I was saying before we press record, both Joe and Rachel Lippmann did an outstanding job of hosting and doing the rigorous post-production work on the other politically speaking's.
2: But we're glad. I'm very glad to see Jason back in the uh, in the chair.
0: Thank, I'm I'm glad to be back. As as it was alluded to in the other shows, I spent the month of June off taking care of my new son, Declan Todd Rosenbaum, who was actually born in February. Um, I don't want this to get too personal, obviously, but one of the things I really do regret is that after my first son was born, I did not take enough time off. Ferguson happened, and I didn't feel like I had the bonding experience that I had uh, at, at, at this point. So I'm, I'm really glad that I did it. I'm fairly cognizant of the fact that not every person has built up enough sick time or vacation time to take 6 weeks off which I did but I do think it's important for for new dads to bond with their kids with that personal note aside you're probably wondering like why why are, why are we doing the show on Friday the griden stuff is over with all due respect to Governor Mike Parson, he, he's not creating enough controversy to do enough show enough for a show.
2: But, but it just goes to show that sometimes good ideas need to uh, continue, just evolve in a different direction.
0: So what we're going to be doing from now until the election is over in November is we're going to have a Friday show on the election.
2: Election specials.
0: We are going to be covering all the major events that have happened in the week and also try to shine a light on some of the races that – Are either above or below the radar. So the first topic we're going to dive right into today is probably one that is on the minds of most Missourians and Americans, and that's the impending fight to replace Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. Looking at the timeline, I would not be shocked if that seat was filled before November, but I do expect it to become a major inflection point in the U.S. Senate race between Claire McCaskill and possibly Attorney General Josh Hawley. Joe, you actually looked at this issue with more depth while I was gone. What what have you found so far?
2: Yes, well, that's pretty much what's happening. Um, Hawley is trying to make this the marquee issue right now. Uh, McCaskill claims it's because he wants to highlight his time as a clerk in the U.S. Supreme Court with uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and to make his credentials look better. That's how she's seeing it. Holly says no, it's because he believes that the that whoever replaces Kennedy has the chance to totally reshape the direction of the US Supreme Court and he's repeating a lot the phrase that he said we need someone who quote shares our values and he's referring to Missourians or at least his base when he's talking about that. So uh, they're also trying to, I think, put pressure on her. This vote to uh, confirm the Supreme Court justice will likely be close. Now, frankly, I think, assuming most of the Republicans in the U.S. Senate toe the line, the person's going to get confirmed. But there's always a possibility, particularly because of a key court decision that's at stake here, Roe v. Wade from 1973, Two of the U.S. senators who are women uh, have indicated some coolness. They're from other states. The bottom line is, though, and then that puts more pressure on the Democrats to make sure that all of their people stick to opposing whoever is nominated. Now, McCaskill is among those who's running for re-election from states that overwhelmingly went for Trump in 2016. So she's had to tread carefully. On the one hand, she doesn't want to appear to be too much of an extremist, On the other hand, abortion rights and reproductive rights was a big issue for her in 2012, so she's sort of in kind of an odd situation. I talked to her um, um, earlier this week about it.
1: Well, I'm I'm gonna handle this nomination like I've handled every single one of President Trump's nominations. Um, I look at each individual nomination, I study the nominee, I talk to the nominee. Um, If they're at a high level like this, I'll read, whatever they've written, and take the time to make to make an, an informed decision. Um, I did that with uh, Justice Gorsuch, and I made a determination that I could not support him. I don't know who he will nominate, but I'm not going to prejudge it at this point. I've, I've uh, voted to confirm um, 68% of President Trump's nominees. Um, So you can tell by that figure that I'm looking at each one individually and this one will be no different.
0: Now, what you are kind of alluding to is there may be a couple of Republicans who support abortion rights, like Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, who may vote against whoever Trump puts up.
2: Or they may at least make noises about it.
0: But I would actually think it would be a more likely uh, outcome, especially if those two end up voting for. Uh, whoever the nominee, that some of the uh, Democrats in even redder states than Missouri, so I'm talking like
2: West Virginia, West
0: Virginia, North Dakota, Indiana, Indiana, people who already have anti-abortion rights votes to vote for this person. So I, I just don't see McCaskill being in that equation because she has long supported abortion rights. I think that she does not want a situation where her base is so upset with her because she votes for this Supreme Court justice that the turnout, especially in the urban and potentially suburban areas, is depressed. And as I've said numerous times on this show, she <laughs> needs high turnout out of both of those places in order to beat Holly or exactly, the Republican exactly. nominee.
2: And, and frankly, uh, uh, shifting just a just a tad. If you look at their July 4th schedule, and I'd que- tweeted about this earlier, Hawley spent July 4th in Marshfield, Missouri, which is a picturesque suburb outside of Springfield, very much Republican territory. Um, McCaskill spent July 4th in Webster Groves, which is um, home part of Joe Maness. Yeah, well, but, but it's home of a lot of people. It's home of a lot of swing uh, voters. A lot of, let's say, Republican women who tend to be more progressive, um, as well as Democrats. It's currently represented by a Democrat, but for many decades it wasn't. The point is, is that for her to win, while she does need a strong urban turnout, she really needs to take advantage of uh, suburban, especially suburban women. I and- I think they're going. I truly believe suburban women will decide. Who wins this U.S. Senate race? And
0: Before we get into our next topic, I was seeing that I've, I've, we've been talking about the suburbs for a long time. I think we need to define what the suburbs are, because I think for some people that aren't geographic buffs like myself, they may think the suburbs is just Webster Groves, Kirkwood, you know, maybe parts of central St. Louis County. In my view, the suburbs is St. Charles County. Yes. It's Jefferson County. Yes. It's Lincoln County. Yes. It's Buchanan County. It's places where... There are people and voters who are more socially conservative than people in the inner ring suburbs.
2: Well, it's people who also are living in these new subdivisions. And I think often the suburbs, as the suburbs spread out, let's say in St. Charles, for example, while St. Charles is still Republican, it's not as Republican as it was because you've got a lot of people, let's say, from North St. Louis County who are moving out there. Mm -hmm. I'm using that as an example the point being is that if if a Democrat wins big in the suburbs or in the case of St. Charles County, let's say she breaks even with Holly, that is a minus for him because St. Charles County for the last uh, few cycles has been the biggest or the second biggest provider of Republican votes in the state. Yep, yeah,
0: McCaskill ties with Holly in St. Charles. She wins. Right. Let's shift gears a little bit, but stay on the topic of abortion rights, because this is a topic that has actually roiled the Missouri Democratic Party pretty yes. really recently. And this is an issue I think both of us have been following for a while. Years. Um, and that issue is that I would say the majority of elected officials who are mi- Democrats in Missouri support abortion rights. But there is a what I would consider a, a pretty sizable minority, especially in rural parts, uh, especially of elected officials there that oppose abortion rights, and there's been some very prominent Democrats like Thomas Eagleton, Francis Slave for a while was opposed for abortion right. rights. The issue is that the Missouri Democratic Party approved their platform earlier. Was it earlier this month? Late last month? I it don't. It was just a couple weeks ago. It was a couple weeks ago, and there is a plank in it that says, and I'm reading this from a, a Kansas City Star article. That the Democrats support a woman's right to choose and they should be free from intrusion in medical decisions, including to carry a pregnancy to term. An amendment which I think was strongly supported by former state representative Joan Berry, a Democrat from South St. Louis County,
2: who I know well
0: said, We respect the conscience of each Missourian and recognize that members of our party have deeply held and sometimes differing positions on issues of personal conscience, such as abortion. We recognize the diversity of views as a source of strength, and welcome into our ranks all Missourians who may hold differing positions on this issue. Now, just from looking at social media, because I haven't done yes, a lot of reporting, yes. this has caused a lot of anger as, among abortion rights supporters, especially millennials. Explain why, Joe?
2: Okay, because I think a couple things. Um, okay, Joan Berry, who's um, a bit older than me. As part of that generation with Tom Eagleton, the late Tom Eagleton and others, uh, this is when, let's say, Missouri Democrats were maybe one-third anti-abortion, two-thirds abortion rights, that sort of thing. Um, in fact, um, we'll probably be playing a quip from uh, the uh, state Democratic Party chairman, Stephen Weber, who's younger, who you know contends that it may be 80-20, he was telling me. I don't think it is. I think now among... Uh, most people who are activists, it's probably more like 90-10. Among and,
0: activists.
2: Among activists. Well, now I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about the average voter, but activists. And I think so the result is, especially if a lot of young women who are affected by these policies, who are seeing um, not just abortion rights, but also, reproduct- also even getting birth control, access to birth control. If you're low income, being able to get it at low cost or free under attack. So th- they've become extremely energized. I think this is one of the reasons you've seen a couple key victories by certain Democrats in other states. So the bottom line is, is that th- they just went, they were furious. And this was all over Twitter when this happened about 10 days ago.
0: So I'm going to play a clip now from Alderwoman Megan Green that was actually from last year. Because- but
2: she was among the activists who were furious.
0: Because I was actually at a a meeting in Bowling Green, Missouri where they talked about the party platform and abortion was brought up because people in Bowling Green, Missouri, a traditional Democratic stronghold that's become more Republican, I asked her about the prospect of having candidates especially for the state legislature that oppose abortion rights. This was her response last year. I think Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, off of the November election, a lot of the feedback that Democrats got is that we didn't stand for anything. And, uh, and I think that voters respect you more when they know what you stand for. Even if they don't agree with it, at least they – they trust you because you've been forthright enough to say, you know, yes, I believe in abortion rights and you might not agree with me. Um, these are my reasons. They might be different you know, than your reasons, um, but we can agree to disagree on this. I, I think that it's dangerous when we start to pander as a party and move farther and farther to the right um, to the point where it's unclear what it means to be a Democrat. Now, you mentioned Steven Weber, who's the chairman of the Missouri Democratic Party, a former state representative from Columbia, and I've I've known him for a long time. He's a strong supporter of abortion rights. You talked with him, I think, couple days ago, yes. asking him about this platform situation, this is what he had to say.
1: This has been a debate in the Democratic Party for, for decades. The vast majority of Democrats are pro-choice. There's Democrats currently in office um, and, and supporters around the state that um, have mixed views on choice, um, but that's not something that it's not something the party's backing away from or we're or, or shopping on. You know, we've said all along that, that candidates um, have to make up uh, their own mind on issues, but the Missouri Democratic Party is never going to uh, advocate for them or encourage them to ever use an elected office to take that, that choice away from, from a woman.
0: Realistically, I don't see foresee a scenario where a, a a nominee for a statewide office, like governor or U.S. senator, for the Democratic side opposes abortion rights. I, I, I just don't see that happening. I, I think that they would not have the base of support in the key democratic areas to win a democratic primary would you say that that's a fair uh, assessment
2: yes and uh, but, but 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 i think what you're also seeing is the energy level has sort of shifted so you've got a lot of younger democrats who are just really ticked off that this is even being discussed and so then it affects how they view the party leadership overall
0: but the reason i think it's being discussed is about the state legislature Now, I used to cover the state legislature when there were more Democrats in the Missouri House and the Missouri Senate. I got to know a lot of state representatives and state senators on the Democratic side who were very much opposed to abortion rights and oftentimes opposed to the death penalty, too, because a lot of them were Catholic. Um, But they were also very helpful for Democratic causes on labor issues, on Medicaid, on education. And sometimes they actually tried to expose... The Republicans who said that they were opposed to abortion rights is not being opposed to abortion rights enough as a way to try to showcase that they were basically phonies on that issue. So, my point is like they're not around anymore. They've all been replaced by Republicans who are voting a different way on all the issues I mentioned. And I don't foresee a scenario where. They, the Missouri Democrats can get out of the super minority without picking up at least some seats in the the outer ring suburbs in rural rural Missouri, let alone win a majority in either one of those places.
2: But I think this is this is where and you're seeing somewhat of a similar argument in the Republican Party, but kind of affect uh, dealing with different topics. Yes. On the Democratic side. You've got people like Megan Green who are saying, look, one of the reasons we lost is because people thought we were too squishy. They didn't really know what we stood for. And and plus, you've got a lot of women activists in the party who are rising up in the ranks, and they're like, wait a minute, you can no longer uh, view our issues as being optional. So they're seeing even this uh, extra paragraph, while the platform still says they're committed to Uh, abortion rights has got this paragraph saying, but we understand others. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but we understand others may disagree. Mm -hmm. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, We didn't do that. There's stuff in there about Black Lives Matter. There's stuff in that on some other issues where the party is not equivocating. So why are you equivocating on this?
0: Well, I will. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, and I would also play devil's advocate on my other observation especially with state Senate races, the Democratic Party has had a dismal record of running candidates that are opposed to abortion rights in some of the rural areas. Jeff Rorta and Jefferson County got destroyed by Paul Whelan in a, in a district that Democrats held for decades. Terry Swinger lost to Doug Leibla. Um, you know, Joe Fowler lost to Gary Romine. Yeah. And there are, there are other examples on a state representative level where that strategy of trying to out Republican, the Republican has not been successful. On the other hand, uh, the clip that I'm about to play now of State Representative Mike Ravis of Jefferson County, who was celebrated nationally as an example of a Democrat taking over a Republican seat, has these types of views. Being pro-life in this area. um, That's something, you know, I was raised Catholic. So for me, that's something that um, I've been brought up with and um, believe in. um, But it has to be more than just being... um, you know, pro birth, we have to make sure that um, if that option is, is taken away, that we're providing
1: resources for mothers and the uh, children, um, you know, when they're born. So, yeah, those those are also other issues that were, we're talked about quite a bit down in Jefferson County.
0: I would imagine Representative Ravis is not the only Democratic candidate that ascribes to those views. Frankly, I have yet to meet a elected Democratic state representative from Jefferson County that supported abortion rights in the 12 years that I've covered Missouri politics. So my question is, do you think candidates like Gravis are taking these positions because, A, they actually believe them, and B, their constituency believes it too, or or do you think that it's possibly they're doing this to pander, as Alderwoman Green kind of alluded to?
2: Well, I think this is where you may actually may have a gender split. I think um, while some women do uh, support restrictions on abortion. I'm not saying that. But the result is, you can see from what uh, Representative Ravis said, okay, he grew up Catholic. This is this is ingrained in him. He feels strongly about this. I'm sure it is a personal view for him. Um, that then you've got, as I said, some other fellow Democrats like Megan Green who feel very deeply on the other side. And they feel that uh, they're not getting respected, and they also are feeling like maybe some of the guys, doesn't matter in age, within the party are sort of dismissing uh, their concerns when it comes to reproductive rights. I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm just saying that's the perception. So I think that, um, I don't think you have that much um, angling, you know, trying to, just to track people and don't hold the point of view, because it's too explosive of a topic. I think most people, they say what they mean, um, and they say what they believe. But I really think, though, that there is, I think, a disconnect among some Democrats and some Democratic leaders who don't get how deeply uh, the uh, reproductive rights position is held, especially by millennial women, some older women, and that how if you disrespect them or disrespect their view on the topic, that you actually hurt your efforts to keep this coalition together that they're going to desperately need to make any sort of gains this fall.
0: And now to the last part of our show is something that we're going to do pretty much every week and that we're going to highlight a particular race or several different races our a whole bunch of races that are going to be on the ballot this fall. One of the reasons I wanted to continue to do these podcasts is I wanted to provide a little bit more space and depth for some of the races that are getting, not getting as much attention. And one of them, the first one I want to do, is the Republican primary for the U.S. Senate. Now, you're probably wondering, there's no primary for the U.S. Senate. Oh, yes, jo- there is. Josh Hawley is going to win this by a zillion points, and I don't know if that's going to happen, but he's actually facing nine other Republicans in the primary. And- Frankly, there are only two that have raised a significant amount of money and have organizational support that we should talk about. The first is Austin Peterson, and the second is Tony Minetti, who we'll get to at uh, the end of the show. But I do want to talk about Holly because we talk about him a lot. He is the attorney general. He was recently elected for his first term in 2016, and he is seen as the front runner throughout this race by most people. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. Well, he's a frontrunner among Republicans. Obviously, it's neck and neck between him and McCaskill.
0: Yeah. And he's an intriguing candidate in a lot of ways because he doesn't have a voting record. He has been attorney general for a couple of years, and there are probably things that you could say he did or didn't do. We talked about ad nauseum during the Greitens podcast. But there's just not as much to attack him on from a professional standpoint than, say, a congressperson or somebody who's been in office for a while. The other thing that he has that the other two candidates on the Republican side don't have is the endorsement of President Donald Trump. Trump has actually come to fundraise for Hawley. And it's pretty clear that Holly is attaching his campaign to the coattails of Donald Trump, as he told me, a few months ago.
1: Oh, you know, I'm delighted uh, to have the president's support. I hope he'll be in Missouri often. You know, President Trump won
0: Missouri by 19 points for a reason, and I think it's that he understands that our way of life here is under threat. He understands that we cannot continue on the path that we've been on. We cannot keep offshoring jobs. We cannot have middle class wages be where they are. We cannot have health care cost people their, you know, entire paycheck, and he gets that. And uh, that's, I think, why he's
1: president. And those are the issues I'm going to go to tackle in the Senate.
0: I, I got asked a lot during the Greitens situation, like, if they thought that whether Greitens was was going to affect Holly. And the thing that I kept saying over and over again, because I believe it pretty strongly, is I think by November, what's going to be the decision making factor among a lot of Missourian voters is the national environment and whether President Trump is popular in Missouri or not popular in Missouri. Right now, I think his approval ratings are generally around 50 percent, but that could change. Like The economy could tank. We could be in a war with somebody. Trump could be immersed in some scandal. What do you think about uh, Hawley's decision to tie himself so closely to Trump? Because other candidates in other states aren't doing that.
2: Well, I think there's, there's two things going on. I think, one, I think Hawley may feel that he doesn't have many alternatives. Because he needs Trump help, Trump's help in raising money. Uh, I mean, for whatever one can say about Holly's strengths and weaknesses, he has not been able to even come close to collecting the amount of uh, individual donations that Claire McCaskill has raised. Um, he, Trump headlined a big fundraiser for him in March, and that uh, did help Holly some, but some of that money probably ended up going to the state party and other outside groups. But my my point being is that for Hawley, he's in a situation where if he doesn't embrace the president, he is not going to get the strong help he needs from Trump and also from the Republican National Committee, because obviously Trump controls the national party levers.
0: So what that gets into the news is that basically the state party, was it the executive committee or... Yeah. They they voted to allow the national party to start spending money on behalf of Holly before the primary, and people like Austin Peterson and I guess supporters of Tony Minetti are not happy about this. But it's not super surprising. It's
2: not unusual, really, despite what some press accounts are saying. Explain why it's not it's surprising. Not, because for one thing, this happened in 20, um, ten. 10. For Roy Blunt.
0: And Roy Blunt was running against State Senator Chuck <laughs> Ferguson, who was an underdog, but he was an established political figure. So continue. Well, so,
2: well, some of it is because there are campaign donation limits for federal candidates. And I think that the if the party has a preferred candidate, they don't necessarily want that candidate spending their precious dollars that are covered by donation limits going after a fellow Republican when perhaps that Republican, who the National Party isn't that keen about, might be able to be dispatched with a little bit of national money. That national money is not affected by the campaign donation limits that affect the candidates. The National Party can really blast that uh, Republican without it being, uh, without it hurting. The preferred candidate. In other words, the national party runs ads that that blast Minetti or Peterson,
0: which they probably won't. They'll probably just blast McCaskill or just say Holly is great. But right, continue. right.
2: But my point is that they can do. They have more freedom to do stuff that won't be a blowback on Holly, or they can really attack McCaskill. Maybe get really nasty about it, and Holly can say, "Hey, this is not my campaign. Well, I don't have that much control over that." I'm just saying that's what they do.
0: But let's talk about the two candidates I mentioned, Austin Peterson and Tony May, because we interviewed them on our podcast. I think they're both really interesting political figures. Yes, thinkers. they both of them Austin Peterson actually ran as a, a presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party in 2016. He lost to Gary Johnson. He has raised—I don't know how much he's raised, but it's probably close to $500,000, which is not a huge amount for a U.S. Senate race. But is it probably going to be enough for him to run— <laughs> radio ads and maybe even TV ads. He's also kind of innovative in a way that he's actually accepted Bitcoin, which I don't think a lot of candidates have done. And I would not be surprised if that became a normal thing. We, we kind of asked him about the conventional wisdom that Hawley is the anointed candidate and that he doesn't have a chance. This is what he had to say about it earlier this year. And what
1: I'm hearing from Missouri voters is very clear. They voted for him to be attorney general. They want him to stay attorney general. He campaigned on the promise that he was not going to be a ladder climbing career politician. And then he immediately broke his promise nearly immediately, less than six months into his first term, broke his campaign promise. A lot of Republicans are upset about that. And sometimes I like to joke when I go out around the state, I'm like, listen, I voted for Josh Hawley. I was, I was a fan. But the good, news is is that if you like your attorney general you can keep him
0: <laughs> clever t- a clever line what, what do you make of peterson's candidacy because he's getting a lot of traction on social media he has very passionate fans he represents an important element of the republican base which is the more libertarian minded uh folk but I, I just wonder if he has enough appeal to reach some of the more socially conservative people that are probably going to flock to someone like holly
2: well and that, and they may not be his target I mean, I think he may be targeting some of these other people who either don't know that much about Holly, or who are not totally adamant behind Holly. And see, one of the reasons one of the reasons I believe that the RNC may be coming out to try to help Holly is that it's not just making sure he wins, although chances are most people believe he's the decided front runner. Front runner is to get his margin up. Let's say he only wins, let's say, 60-40, 65-35. Well, there's 10 (laughs)
0: candidates, so that's going to split the vote in various directions. But I understand what you're saying. The
2: point is, it doesn't look that great as if he let's say, carries the primary, but let's say like 80%.
0: Right. Like Blunt, I think, beat Ferguson 70-20 or yes, something. It was right. a blowout. I, I think it's going to be difficult for him to get above 60% just because they're – but I understand what you're saying. The other candidate I want to talk about is Tony Minetti, who actually was endorsed by Sarah Palin, I believe. Yes. Um, He came in and did a podcast I think about three or four months ago with us. He is from Warrensburg. He is raised – again, six figures, which is pretty good for someone who's never run for office before and doesn't have a lot of name recognition. I, we posed the same question to him about running against
1: someone like Holly. Everyone tells me, you can't win. You don't have the name ID. You don't have the money. Well, Kant never did anything. That's the way I look at it. You know. And, and that just fires me up and excites me even more. When I was at the Air Force Academy, most of my, my, my roommates quit. And the upperclassmen told me, you need to quit. You don't have what it takes. But I I looked him in the eyes and I laughed and I said, no, sir, I'm going to make it.
0: So, again, I, I think that he's in a different position than Peterson because he's not a former libertarian. He's pretty much taking trying to, I guess, go to the right of Hawley. Mm-hmm. I think the issue with that strategy is Hawley is not seen as like a moderate Republican, even though he's supported by people like Jack Danforth. It's just going to be a difficult task to argue like he's not. Conservative on stuff when his entire shtick, when I'm talking about Holly, was his social conservative activism yes. as an attorney. Is that kind of what you're your feeling is? Yes, as well?
2: and I think it's one of the reasons that Holly is a spending a lot of time in these uh, rural Missouri Republican strongholds is to introduce himself to them and get them to be particularly loyal to them, him, so that they do so he does win big. And I think it is to highlight his legal credentials, as we have written many times. He was one of the lawyers in the Hobby Lobby case, which was a major Supreme Court ruling, which said that corporations don't have to uh, pay for um, contraceptive coverage in their insurance if they have religious objections to that. And it was that type of thing that won Holly really, really, really strong support from um, social conservatives. And this is something that he's driving home now as he campaigns in rural Missouri, he's highlighting this, saying, look, I, whereas some thought, saw the fact that he was an intern to John Roberts as a negative, he's trying to make it into a positive by saying, look, I'm familiar with the Supreme Court. I understand what the stakes are. And this is why, if you believe in the importance of the Supreme Court, you need to back me.
0: If you want to learn more about Peterson and Minetti, go back in our archives and listen to his interview they were going to try to get Holly on our show in July and have a pretty similar podcast where he lays out a lot of his views. So that's it for this week for all of our stories. STLPublicRadio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at
2: J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S.
0: Until next time, so long.